The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about that hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the third Doctor story, The Time Monster. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Let's do the time monster again. <laughs> <laughs> So, folks, be sure to follow The Secrets of Doctor Who in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you can see us in video, or uh, and, and you should also hit the bell to get notifications. Uh, so check us out in all those places. Follow us. Make sure to subscribe. We would love to have you as a regular listener. Uh, also, be sure to check out another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy called The Catholics of Oz. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash OZ Oz. Uh, and it's about Australia, not the wizard. So <laughs> let's talk about the time monster. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? I'm disappointed we didn't get to see androids fighting. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So this week, the third doctor and Joe Grant encounter the master. He's pretending to be a scientist. Uh, named Dr. Thaskalos, which is allegedly the Greek word for master. And he's doing experiments with time to summon a chronovore, or time-eating beast, named Kronos. The beast was uh, once thought to bring good times to the ancient civilization of Atlantis, but these times also brought problems, and the Atlanteans turned against him. Meanwhile, back in Atlantis, the 500-year-old King Dalios is against the return of Kronos, because he saw that the good times weren't so good. But his younger, foolish subjects want Kronos and the good times to come back. The king's queen, Galea, uh, forms an alliance with the master to bring back Kronos, but in a timey-wimey way, the doctor and the master end up outside of time. There, Queen Galea reveals that she is actually Kronos, she allows the Doctor and Joe to go back to their own time in the 20th century, and the Master escapes and vanishes into history. That's okay. I missed. I definitely missed something when I watched this because I did not catch yeah. that Galea was Kronos. Well, that's what I got out of it. Maybe oh, I was watching it late at night. Maybe I was mistaken. <laughs> okay. No, because it's it's a it was a different actress that played the the Kronos in on the green screen. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Then I just, her face is huge and blocked by other things, and she's yeah. got weird, weird makeup on. I thought it was yeah. Galea. Oh, nope. okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was like, for a second there, I was a little scared. Did I watch the wrong thing? <laughs> yeah. No, no, I watched it. Okay, good, good, good. So uh, we can talk about that as we, as we get to it. But uh, Atlantis. So this is the now third mm -hmm. time we've had an explanation for what happened to it, the ancient civilization of Atlantis, right? Uh, first was Underwater Menace, the second Doctor. Uh, the okay. second would have been The Daemons, the third Doctor. Um, and did, uh, there, there may be a reference to it being sunk there, I guess. Yeah, briefly. Yeah. This is the first time we've seen Atlantis 
in its prime. Yes, right. that's true. Like in, in The Underwater Menace, we see people descended from Atlanteans, but we don't see Atlantis. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, I was trying to – the uh, TARDIS wiki was, was talking about that, and I was trying to find the reference in the demons. Because it, would, it wouldn't have been a big part of that episode, but it, maybe no. it came up. No, I think the the head daemon alludes to having been in Atlantis when it sank or something, okay. if, if memory serves. So uh, this also marks the second-to-last appearance of Roger Delgado as the master. Uh, he's got one more that he's going to do. Um, and he was planned to have another one. Um, mm-hmm. The plan was to have, like, the kind of the C- series – the John Pertwee series finale was going to be – a battle between the doctor and the master and the master was going to die, but save the doctor and redeem himself. If, if I recall correctly, but Roger Delgado, unfortunately died in a car accident before that happened. Okay. Okay. So, uh, and we won't see the master again until the fourth, fourth, doctor? fourth doctor. Okay. We'll see two. We'll see two. Well, sort of two versions of the master. Um, with the fourth doctor, both of them are horribly burned and, and, uh, they're both meant to be, uh, just the continuation of Roger Delgado's incarnation, just, but mm. anxious and burned. Um, they kind of play with that in big finish and treat them like they're a separate master because one of the actors, Christopher Beavers, uh, it has done a lot of big finish yep. and they've right. kind of treated him as a separate master. Um, and then at the very end of Tom Baker's time, he becomes a third actor playing the master mm-hmm. who Anthony Ainley, who gets the body of Nissa's father mm-hmm. and goes gallivanting about the universe as another incarnation with a new body. Right. You body. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I think we did a big finish with uh, Christopher Beaver says the master. Mm-hmm. When He's he was, really good. Yeah. It was yeah. in Vegas. I think it was or something like that. Mm-hmm. It didn't have the doctor in it at all. Yeah. He, he also, Christopher Beavers is a writer and he, he actually wrote a, um, an, an audio play for him as the master, which is an audio play about an audio play. Um, so he's, he's in a recording studio telling you what it's like to be in a recording studio (laughs) and, and it's really clever. It's really nicely done. Very meta. We, we need to do that one at some point. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, another interesting, uh, new thing that was in this episode was a redesign of the TARDIS control room, both Mm -hmm. the doctor's TARDIS and the master's TARDIS, which was obviously the same set, just redressed. Um, and it was supposed to be this new design for next season. This is the end of this particular season, the uh, season nine, season nine, or the or uh, the third Doctor's third season. Um, and there was a huge outcry against it, or something. Like people didn't like it, or something along those lines. And they redesigned it again. Well, <laughs> there, there's also problems with the the uh, bowls they put up on the wall as they got basically destroyed in storage. Oh, okay. The yeah. the new roundels, basically. Yep. And folks, if you've got complaints about this, wait till you see what's coming in the 13th Doctor's time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Now, the, the console itself is the same console. They just redressed it. They just bolted some stuff onto it to make it look a little more 
a little different. Uh, 1970s futuristic instead of 1960s futuristic. And right. wait till you see what's coming in the 11th Doctor's time. <laughs> yeah, we've got, exactly. We've got ketchup bottles. You know. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm curious what uh, what uh, Russell T Davies is going to do since he was the originator of that wild, uh, you know, console. The, the trash. The trash console. <laughs> yes. By by the way, I one thing about this that I really liked is, um, in terms of TARDIS stuff, is they have. This is the first time we have a TARDIS materialize inside a TARDIS. Mm. And so we have the Doctor's TARDIS inside the Master's TARDIS, and that's mind-blowing enough. But we also have the Master's TARDIS inside yeah. the Doctor's TARDIS. At the same time. So at the same time. <laughs> so they're mutually looped. And it's like, okay, it's clear this is the early 70s. We're getting out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yet they can leave it at some point. So Because the only mm-hmm. way they go from one to the other is they go out the door. But at some point, yep. they can go out the door and go out into the real world. So they're not stuck inside. Right. Um, but, yeah, yeah. It's, that's what was kind of mind-blowing. A little TARDIS is all the way down. And we, we, see that, we see that in The Fifth Doctor. They have an episode where they do that. A couple oh, of, you know, couple of episodes. And they right. do it again, yeah. Yep. So it starts with the Doctor having a weird dream about the Master and volcanoes and statues and things and wakes up. And it's very realistic to him. And he wakes up and demands that Joe, you know, go find out if there have been any significant volcanic eruptions in the world uh, while he was asleep. Um, wow, did that feel echoey of the 13th Doctor's finale with the Master doing yeah. stuff with volcanoes? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so Joe went onto the computer and looked it up on the internet and saw that on Twitter there was an announcement of, no, I'm just kidding, <laughs> because back then yeah. <laughs> it would take a while for news to spread. It's kind of funny. To, to, it, I was thinking assume, about that. Assuming they didn't have, you know, a telegraph connection to the, or not telegraph, teletype connection to, like, press releases yeah yeah exactly they, they couldn't just go look it up you have to pull up the paper and sure enough there was but you know yeah. they happened to have a paper that showed it but and then you had uh the master we have him posing as this professor thascalos which doesn't mean uh master in greek well it, <laughs> it, it, um, it means like teacher okay yeah. and magister in latin okay that also means teacher so you could yeah kind of make this argument in terms of etymology but in terms of semantics in terms of a term that actually means master like if you're a if you're a a slave in ancient greek society you're not going to call your owner thaskalos right you're going to call him like kurios or Mm. something else okay okay um yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny it's that they chose that. I mean, I suppose because as a professor, he's kind of a teacher to, I don't mm-hmm. know. But he's at, he's at this. I, I think they just didn't speak Greek very well. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, intern, intern, go look up just, the Greek word for for master. <laughs> yeah, you just flip flip open a dictionary and, oh, well, okay, well, this is one of the meanings. Let's just go with that and not see if there's a better word. <laughs> right. <laughs> And so he's at this science institute in Cambridge, which is, uh, I don't think at Cambridge, the university, but in Cambridge, the city. Town of. The town of, because um, any major university in Cambridge and Oxford are both major universities, will attract science-y institutes around them. That's a sort of mm-hmm. a thing that happens. Uh, so he's, and he's doing studies in, through, you know, about time, time travel or moving things through time. 
Yeah, um, it's the place he's doing them is called the Newton Institute, which yeah. would make sense for Isaac Newton. Yep. And the project is called Tom Tit, and a Tom Tit is a kind of a bird. Yes. Um, mm. But they they it's an acronym in this case for transmission of matter through interstitial time. Right. Which is uh, just the gobbledygook they come up came up with this time to <laughs> yeah. fit the word Tom Tit. <laughs> yes, that's true. One thing that really strikes me so that one of the master's assistants is this woman named Ruth, and she's very women's lip. Like this is oh, again wow. early seventies, yeah. and yeah. she's really, you know. Uh, but the master and the doctor are both very condescending to the women mm. around them, you know. And it's it's kind of funny to see through twenty first century eyes how it looks. Um, but uh, but and even uh, what was it? Uh, Stuart, the other PhD mm. student. May God bless the good ship women's lib and all who sail in her. It's yeah. Like, okay. It's it's awkward, but Stuart. So Stuart is her underling, and right. and he he kind of pokes fun a little bit at how shrieking feminist he is, but he's going along with it. He's being supportive of her, in, yeah. and he's not. He's I I don't get the vibe that he's condescending to her. I get the no. vibe that he's he's just not taking this super seriously, but he, he he's trying to guff. be supportive. Yeah. yeah, he gives her guff, but that's about it. You know, yeah. it's not it's not seriously because of course the ma- master is very much you know you know women can you know you go do your thing you know go get me some sandwiches and stuff like that. <laughs> right, you know? right. Yeah, Stewart's is pretty laid back. I think is, is, is I would describe him. Uh, so we find out that the the volcano or, or earthquake or whatever is on Santorini or also called the mm-hmm. Thera Islands. Which if I've been there, oh really? It looks beautiful mm-hmm. in the pictures. I, it's one of those places. Uh, well, I've never gotten off the beach in Santorini. I just there's because I'm not much for well. So I should explain. So Catholic Answers has gone gone on cruises in the Mediterranean before, and for me, the high spots are like. Rome and Ephesus and Jerusalem and, you know, Alexandria and places that are mentioned in the Bible. And Santorini is a tourist spot. And so I'm utterly uninterested in it. But I get off the ship. There's a little restaurant on the beach. I go to the restaurant. I order a Diet Coke. I sit there and smoke my pipe and I'm fine. <laughs> um but uh but it's a it is geologically interesting because there was a bigger island there until you know about 3500 years ago and it was a volcanic island the volcano blew and shattered the island so now it's kind of it, it's the remnants of oh, what's wow. left over and so you have these massive cliffs and um and the water has filled up part of the caldera so you can sail the ship into what used to be the uh the caldera of the volcano and unload people cool but it it, it has been proposed that santorini is the basis of the atlantis legend mm. because it destroyed when it blew it destroyed a you know a good chunk of minoan civilization and in oh. in in the theory in in the seventies, this theory um, became popular, and they're going with it on this show. In fact, they call attention to it at one point. I mean, the big objection to how could this be the basis of Atlantis? Because that's beyond the pillars of Hercules, which is the gates of Gibraltar. It's supposed to be in the Atlantic Ocean. That's what Plato says. 
Um, mm. And they bring that up in episode one, and it's like, oh, that's so 19th century. Everyone who's hip and with it knows that Atlantis was in the Mediterranean now, not in the Atlantic Ocean. But okay. that's that's just the theory, which isn't a particularly good one. But <laughs> we'll talk about that more on Mysterious World. I'm looking forward and, to that and besides, one. We know Atlantis moved to the Pegasus Galaxy, and they had to use a Stargate to get there. <laughs> yeah, oh, wait, exactly. we talk about that. We'll talk about that eventually in Secrets of Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Let's link all the shows. Uh, one thing I noticed about the Third Doctor it kind of came up for me in this one because you know how we jump around with all the different Doctors, and the Third Doctor. One thing that characterizes him is he's always distracted, not really listening to the people around him who's talk who are talking mm-hmm. to him. And mm-hmm. sort of he does that thing where he says to the person something exactly what they just said to him, but as if he didn't hear them. Um, so I thought that was or kind ends of a- up, ends up where he needed to go anyways. <laughs> right. I, right. I, I felt sorry for poor Sergeant Benton. He was getting ready to go on 48 hours leave. In other words, he got a weekend off. Yeah. And he got <laughs> it canceled because the doctor was being selfish. Right. Right. And it's, and the brig just grabs him and cancels his leave. Yep. Oh, t- 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 exactly. The, the enlisted men they always you know they, although yeah, Benton, they always get get spit on. Yeah. I mean that's that's how it works. <laughs> Benton comes into his own a little bit in this episode though. I got to give mm-hmm. him credit later on. Oh yeah. Um, one thing that kind of gets me there's a there's a moment where there's a window washer peeking in through the window of the doc, of the master's lab while the experiment is ongoing. And he falls off to the ground, is grievously injured. I mean, they have to call an ambulance, although the jerk bureaucrats with the 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 the, the brigadier don't really care. Like, <laughs> no, um, brigadier's well, here; he can deal with it. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this guy must be important to the story. We never see him again. Like, yeah. not even a word about him again. I, I didn't understand what that was. Just seemed like so extraneous. I don't know if you guys he had was, any insight. He was there to show the 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 time delay, whatever they called it, where time would outside of the room, the time time would slow down, or or more accurately, inside the room, it would speed up. Is really what was happening. Oh, so when he fell, it was in slow motion. Yeah, I think I just thought yeah. that was a dramatic camera effect, like in the seventies when you'd have a dramatic action, you'd slow things down to show. Yeah, yeah it was there. it was it was supposed to show that that. Time was slowing down outside, or relative oh. to what's going on inside, time was slowing down outside. So. I see. Yeah, that wasn't well done. <laughs> no, it wasn't. And it's only reason why. Only reason I knew that is just because that's what we see later on. True. We see True. units and you know Brigadier getting trapped by that. It's not well done. They, the guy, the way they portray it, it makes it. It does make it seem like this guy is going to be important to the plot, and then it goes nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's just adding a little bit of drama with a high, someone, you know, gets to do a stunt and it looks mm-hmm. visually impressive and you think, oh, this is going to be important. And then it's not. <laughs> nope. So uh, one thing that happens is, uh, you know, the master's called away and he has to go hypnotize the head of the Institute who's about to fire him, but basically. And, oh. <laughs> and this guy, even the master comments like this guy is the easiest hypnotic subject ever. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the master at one point is like, I haven't encountered anyone like you in ages. It's like old times. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so then the lab assistants Ruth and, and Stuart run the experiment without the master present, which you know that's that's a that would be a big violation in any 
you know, regular lab. And Stuart kind of goads Ruth into it of, oh, do you need a man here to do this? And it's like, okay, let's fire this thing up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and of course, you know, the, things go wrong. Um, we get this explanation that yeah. how, the interstitial time thing is like time is granular made up of time atoms. Mm-hmm. And so they're pushing objects through time in between the time atoms. And that's the interstitial part, which is, of course, nonsense. But um, well, there is I mean, there is a theory that time is quantized, but you, you do if, that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I would say it's nonsense. And you say, oh, no, there's this is some truth well, with yeah. But go ahead. Go ahead. That's what I'm here for. Right. The, <laughs> exactly. The, <laughs> the 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 issue would how would be how would you get anything between the quantized uh, you know moments of time and and I guess there are ways that could make sense but um, I mean it's certainly far fetched I'll give you yeah. that much oh good and, and speaking of Benton coming to his own he's the one who gets it he goes well it's between now and now. <laughs> yeah. and he's yeah. the first one who kind of gets it you know ben and the brigadier just kind of goes whatever <laughs> <laughs> by the way one of the things so one of the things that's essential to this experiment is they have this crystal mm. and it, it's oh it's kind of like if you you know this the shape in a um in a peace sign it's, yeah. it's got the central shaft and the two things coming off of it um, it's like it looks like that. Yeah, you, know, you mm-hmm. got and only upside down, and and it's called the crystal of Kronos, and it 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 is a a crystal, even though the master says it's just it's indistinguishable from other quartz. But this crystal is special, and part of what's special about it is they used it this crystal in ancient Atlantis, and mm-hmm. it's capable of being put in a kind of timey-wimey resonance between its present form and its ancient Atlantean form. And also, when that happens, you can't move it because it's somehow, it's not, it's the even though it's you can it's physical and you can touch it, they say it's not really there. It's really right. an ancient Atlantis. <laughs> so you're even though you can grab it, your hands can't move it, which is interesting. That is nonsense, but it's yeah. interesting nonsense. Yeah. Yes. Um but what they're drawing on here is another part of Atlantis lore, because this idea that Atlantis was powered by crystals is recent. Huh. It mm-hmm. is it's something that uh Edgar Casey the early uh, 20th uh, century psychic came up with. And it may have been, he got a lot of his ideas about Atlantis from theosophy. Uh, He had run into this guy named Arthur Lammers, who was a big theosophy fan and was having him do readings. And it's really clear that Lammers' theosophical ideas came to influence Edgar Cayce's readings. And so I haven't checked. I know that the theosophy, I mean, Madame Blavatsky, the founder of Theosophy, had a bunch of theories, including that, which are all nuts, but theories including, like, there is this root race that was started on Atlantis, and then when Atlantis sank, they colonized other places um, like Egypt and so forth. And Casey absorbed a lot of this, so I haven't checked to see if if Madame Blavatsky had crystals running Atlantis, but I wouldn't be at all surprised. You can find out more about Edgar Casey in Mysterious World episodes 225 and 226. Yeah. <laughs> it was, that was a fascinating uh, a story to, to learn about him. So one of the things that uh, 
the master the master does when he's calling Kronos is you know come Kronos come and we we <laughs> yeah. get this which is you know in the typical master hope Kronos hope Kronos speaks English <laughs> yes. yeah and you know we get this explanation that Chronovores live outside of time and the worst one of all is Kronos he's the, he's the time monster of the title um, and we're told that the Atlanteans made up legends of the old gods all the old gods of of history to explain the creatures they encountered. And right. So in, in Greek mythology, Kronos isn't a chronovore, he's a Titan. Yes. And and he in fact he's the father of Zeus. And Zeus ends up killing him. Um but the Titans were like the generation that preceded the gods. Right. What was the master's motivation to get control of Kronos so that he could control mm-hmm. all of time and space? Yep. And yes. Basically that's that was the, the this this is one of these that the entire universe is at stake episodes. That that's not right. just a that's not just a, a Stephen Moffat thing. That 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 started <laughs> even back here. Yeah, though they don't play it out explicitly. I mean, they mention that that's his ultimate goal, but they don't show us how Kronos is going to help him control the universe. Right. So they and they don't take us to the brink of he's almost in control. Well, and. Mm-hmm. And he ultimately, ultimately doesn't really have control of Kronos. He can call Kronos, but he can't really control. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, he can kind of bully him a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I, I have in my notes, as usual, the master is seeking a new source of power. <laughs> as usual. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stuart gets the brunt of the first uh, uh, things going wrong with the experiment. He ends up being turned into an old man. So he's, tw- mm-hmm. he's 25 years old, we're told. But he looks like an old Al- man. Almost 26. Almost 26. Yeah. Uh, and uh, that gets reversed eventually, of course. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Benton at the end will be turned into a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, that yeah. <laughs> gets reversed. He, then we get naked Benton at the end. So that's uh, <laughs> good for good for Benton, I guess. Fortunately, uh, briefly. Brief, <laughs> very briefly. Um, speaking of Benton, he also doesn't fall for the master's trick of, Im- of imitating the Brigadier's voice. Like another moment where Benton comes out ahead. Yeah, this yeah. is a new thing. Where this, so for the first, so in order to get Benton, who's been tasked with guarding the lab, um, in order to get him out of there, the master calls Benton on the phone and uses the voice of the brigadier. He mm-hmm. just does a perfect imitation. I mean, obviously they had the actor do it, but he does yeah. a perfect imitation of the brigadier and orders Benton out of the lab to go do something else. And while he's and and Benton, they don't explain it at first. This is nice. They they mm-hmm. don't they don't have this told to us in dialogue. Before he leaves, Benton opens a window in the lab, which is on the second floor of this building at the Newton Institute, and then he starts to leave. And he go he walks across the lawn and goes around the side of the building to do what the brigadier told him. And then we see the master and the and the hypnotized leader of the Newton Institute come across the lawn the other way to go into the lab. And Benton is just hiding around the side of the building and sees them. And so he, as they're going up the stairs to the second floor lab, Benton goes up the fire escape to the open window he left open so he can get back in and surprise them. Mm. And it's it's all visual. It's like it's a little bit like watching a Mission Impossible episode. If you mm-hmm. if you watch Mission so. old Mission Imp- Impossible episodes, right. they they don't tell you the whole plan in detail. You have yep. to watch and figure it out. Mm, that's true. That's true. 
question. Yeah, the, and, and, and the actor did a really good job. Uh, oh, you know, you kind of see on his face where he goes, I don't think something's right here. Yeah. You know, as, as, as he hangs up the phone, he kind of looks and then opens the window. And like you said, then he just, he just walks out and he's, oh yeah, he's following orders. And then immediately sneaks back around and goes course, back in. The master does get him with the oldest trick in the book. Like who's that coming in the door and knocks him out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we have a running gag for a little bit about what's the oldest trick in the book. with People <laughs> yeah. I- identifying. I think there are like three instances where they identify yeah. what's, Oh no, that's the oldest trick in the book. And in fact, yeah. <laughs> he, th- then there's a moment where Ruth is like, the doctor's right behind you. He's like, I'm not falling for that. And it was the doctor right behind him after all. Which yep. <laughs> is, <laughs> so the master tries to grab Kronos from Atlantis, but instead grabs the high priest from the Temple of Poseidon, uh, it, who he then pulls under his, his influence. But not hypnotized. I think he just kind of bullies him into it as a you know, time leader. And- he also convinces him that he's um like he's incredibly powerful on, mm-hmm. on, in league with the gods and so the guys you know okay if you've got godlike power i guess i'm obeying you right yeah and then together they grab then they get finally get chronos who turns out to be a big flappy bird <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, man. Oh, that was horrible <laughs> oh it's so fun how horrible the chronos costume is yes it, it it looks like someone took white poster board and rolled it up into tubes and made a human bird outfit <laughs> yes. and put it on an actor and then shone a bright light on it Yes. So yeah. that so that it's so that it overtaxes the whatever of the cameras <laughs> and and looks glowy, um and uh, wow the, okay it's a guy in a really cheap bird suit yeah. Yeah. on a on a harness flying <laughs> on to a the harness air. <laughs> yeah yeah who that immediately eats the eats the uh, hypnotized director of the institute <laughs> like oh yeah I guess he's done the that actor yeah and it's so impractical that. All Kronos can do is like flap around. He can't mm-hmm. and and menace people. But yeah, how does he actually eat anybody? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, his <laughs> mouth won't do that. What is he yeah. doing? Seems- yeah, all you can all you can really do is showing him flapping in front of someone, and then that person is gone or something. Right. And like, how is he controlling time and space? Uh, you know, whatever. We you just have to accept it. Now, with all of this, the doctor's plan is to bring the TARDIS to this the Newton Institute. It still doesn't have a dematerialization circuit that works, uh, mm-hmm. so he's not flying around on his own. But he's got this plan to sort of, you know, rubber band it's you know virtual time rubber band it in a sense to the master's TARDIS so that he can follow him wherever the master goes. The master's TARDIS goes somewhere the 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 doctor's TARDIS can go with it. Especially since they, he does that timey wimey thing where they occupy the same mm-hmm. space. Um, yeah, yeah, there's another thing though that the doctor does first. Um, right, he builds a ridiculous machine mm-hmm. out of junk. Yep, he, he he's he. It's like he takes a wine bottle and a cork and sticks some forks in the cork on the top of the wine bottle, and he puts a cup of tea on top of it. Or an empty yeah. cup of tea because the tannin from the tea leaves is important to this device. And he starts spinning the cork with the forks. And this somehow temporarily interferes with the master's <laughs> use of his Crystal of Kronos time device. Mm-hmm. Yep. So th- there's no tech here. This is just a wine bottle, a cork, 
a couple of forks <laughs> and an empty cup of tea. Yeah. And so- and yet it has this amazing effect of temporarily stopping the master. And the doctor explains that back in school on Gallifrey, they would make these things to mess up each other's time experiments, and he calls it a time flow analog. Um, mm. But wow, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but it's got some I flashy love it. light it. thingy. <laughs> yeah. It's got some flashy light thing. That must be the tech. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So and and he and he does a bunch of things where he messes with the master's crystal as a delaying tactic until the TARDIS mm-hmm. can get there. That's that's the, the one of the big yeah. things. They're bringing it on a on a lorry. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Captain Captain Captain, Captain Yates is. Yes. Yep. Uh and so the master responds by bringing people through time and things through time to attack the unit troops carrying the TARDIS. <laughs> the first is a a knight in armor. Um then there on are a horse the, with a lance. Right. Yep. Then there are the the roundheads which um, this was something, they, they were an army from the English Civil War. From, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that, that they, were, they attacked them with uh, cannons and, and uh, muskets. I um, gather they're regarded as a bunch of jerks these days. Yeah, I think they were on the, the bad side. They, they mm-hmm. were, um, what is it, um, supporters of parliament mm-hmm. against the king. So that, that would, since they lost, <laughs> sort of. Yep. Um, that's a whole long story, and I'm not going to get into it. Um, <laughs> uh, this is actually a really excellent podcast called Revolutions, where he goes through the history of the English uh, nice. uh, Civil War, um, which is really good. It's a really mm-hmm. well-done podcast. Anyway, um, and then the last bit is he brings a V1 buzz bomb. It, that is a World mm-hmm. War II bomb that the Nazis used to, er, you know, early unguided missiles, in a sense. That they used to uh, shoot at uh, now, now England. You'll notice the Masters bringing people from progressively more recent periods of history mm-hmm. to fight mm-hmm. the unit soldiers. And if, you're, if you've gotten up to World War I, there's not a lot left in terms of history. I mean, he started with something from the Middle Ages, which was centuries right. ago. Right. So there's not a lot left. The fun thing to do would be to bring... Captain Yates and his same guys from last week and make them fight each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been confusing to Captain Yates for sure. Um I Wait, thought if sh- I if I shoot it myself, do I cease to exist? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so and and he was these are things that were in that location at the time that they existed. Because the farmer was like, wow, that V one landed oh, yeah. exactly where mm-hmm. a, another one yep. landed during World War II. I also think it's interesting that the people like the brigadier is old enough that he would remember what the buzz bombs sounded like. So it had a very distinctive sound, like mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it's a motorcycle it's, or something along those lines. That's why they're called buzz bombs. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and just before they would fall, the engine would turn off. And so when you, when the buzz bomb goes silent, that's when you know get undercover. Exactly. And that's so it's kind of an interesting to see people who had lived through th- this era. You know, recognizing well, this would it. have been yeah. thirty years after the war, so yeah. absolutely it would have been living memory. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so that was interesting, and that was a cliffhanger for one of the episodes where the bomb lands near Yates's truck, and Yates gets injured. So, uh, you know, he doesn't he doesn't play a huge role in this episode, not even as much mm-hmm. as Benton. No. Uh, so, uh, well, and the show's eventually going to choose Benton over Yates anyway, <laughs> right? So uh, the Master's TARDIS, which has a working camouflage circuit, is uh, looks like an old computer, reel-to-reel yep. uh, computer mm-hmm. there. Da- data storage, tape data storage. Thank you. 
And um, when Crassus, who is the uh, Atlantean priest, we get you know him going inside a TARDIS, and it's bigger on the inside. So we have a, <laughs> a another one of those moments. But it's interesting how the the master responds differently than the doctor. He just arrogance and superiority, like just straight up, which is kind of an interesting uh, contrast. The doctor well, can I, be I like, arrogant. I like but. the way. I like the way the Atlantean priest puts it. He says, so vast a space and so small a box <laughs> instead of it's bigger on the inside. Yeah, right, right. Um, you know, one of the things that I, at, around this point, you know, because Joe keeps falling along with the doctor despite the danger. And I just think one of the things that characterizes Joe Grant is she's unrelentingly positive and optimistic, mm-hmm. even in the face of mm-hmm. certain death, you know. Um, and that's one of the things I like about Joe. She's just, it's not that she's like, perky or clueless she's just optimistic she's positive mm-hmm. that's one of the things that's nice more so than sarah jane sarah jane could get bent out of shape and freddy oh yeah over oh yeah 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 i, I mean joe's really I mean, sarah, sarah yeah. jane can whine oh yeah about <laughs> stuff but joe grant does not whine about stuff Right. Sarah Jane's favorite phrase was, I don't think I can handle much more of this. I don't (laughs) think I could take much more than this. She says that so many times. Right. But she also was willing to let the doctor have it, too, when that happened. Mm -hmm. So, right. She's, yeah, Sarah Jane stood up to the doctor much more than Joe stands up to the doctor in this case. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, But but she does so through whining. (laughs) She does. Yeah. (laughs) You know, the other thing is I noticed is the third doctor talks a lot about Venusians. Like yes. everything is a Venusian, oh, yeah. this or that, if, mm-hmm. but that's a third doctor thing. Not really any other doctors. I mean, it comes up a little bit like Venusian Aikido, I think with the fourth doctor, doesn't it? And, and the 12th. Yeah. Right. Right. He's mentioned it, but the but third doctor. A callback. Yeah. Yeah. The, the third doctor is Mr. Venus. <laughs> yes. He so, even sings like Venus songs and stuff like that. Venusian <laughs> songs and stuff like that. So, yeah. So at one point, um, Kronos consumes the doctor, like he did with the institute director, um, and sent, but sends him into the time vortex. He's not vortex. He's not dead. And then we have this scene of the doctor communicating f- uh, telepathically with Joe, who's still inside the TARDIS. And they tell us it's the telepathic circuits of the TARDIS, mm-hmm. and and that like at one point the master to set this up. The Doctor and the Master are in their TARDISes, which are inside of each other, and they're talking over the view screen, and the Master gets tired of listening to the Doctor, so he turns the sound off. (laughs) And so when the Doctor realizes the Master has turned the sound off, he does something. We're not, it's very vague what it is, but he does something that overrides that so that the Master can't turn him off, at which point the Master uh, does something back, which causes the Doctor to speak backwards. And Joe says, what language was that? And the doctor says English, but the master has reversed it through the telepathic circuits. So like the doctor was talking, but the the telepathic circuits of the TARDIS made him speak English backwards. Right. And this is, as far as I can recall, the first mention of the telepathic circuits. Mm. They were starting in John Pertwee's era to not fully explain things, but raise questions that the fans had. Like, um, like at one point, uh, you know, and people wondered, how is it that they speak the English on all these other planets? Right. And at one point, the third doctor explains to his assistant, because they put that question in the mouth of an assistant, 
And the third doctor explains, well, it's because of a Time Lord gift. And then they don't mm-hmm. explain beyond that. But here we have the mention of the telepathic circuits. And eventually right. they're going to say it's through the telepathic circuits that this gift yep. works. So that's, that's how you can understand it. It's really the TARDIS translating. And, of course, the telepathic circuits take on a much bigger role in New Who. Mm-hmm. There was apparently a deleted scene, in fact, in this uh, story that would have explained the doctor explaining to Joe that a device in the TARDIS, he was going to turn it on so she could communicate with the Atlanteans. So mm-hmm. uh, that's so that would would have happened. Then they ended up dropping it. But that, it's interesting. That was they were trying to do more of that. Um so Joe is hearing the doctor telepathically, including all of these whispers, which he yeah. says are all of his yeah. uh, other uh, his, subconscious, his subconscious thoughts. And I wouldn't listen to those too closely if you would. I'm not happy with all of those. Interesting <laughs> <laughs> admission that's something true of all of us, right? Um, uh, the uh, TARDIS wiki says that there's a female voice in there, which they mm-hmm. they interpret as the first hint that the that time lords can change gender between regenerations. So I thought that mm. was, uh, I don't know, that might be a little bit of a, a stretch there. I frankly didn't slow it down and closely listen to all the whispers. <laughs> yeah. I was interested in getting on with the plot. Yes. Mm. Um, Joe uh, gets him back rather handily with the very helpful little extreme emergency lever, which is apparently on the TARDIS console. Uh, whenever you're in an extreme emergency, pull the lever and it will yeah. fix it. Um, Pretty much. And so from the, at this point, we shift, everything has shifted from hanging out in Cambridge, in, you know, the, the Newton Institute, basically, to Atlantis, the, mm-hmm. the whole six-episode epi- six story. So the rest of it will be in Atlantis. Yeah, we, we get to see progressively more of Atlantis as we go along. At first, Atlantis looks like a dark set with a couple of pillars and a brazier. <laughs> um and 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 progressively we start to see more of it until we get to see it full in the daylight and wow they spent some time preparing these sets this is pretty impressive yeah. for 1970s television children's oh, television yeah. yep yeah. um yeah and once they're the master is spending his time trying to convince the atlanteans to reveal the secrets of the crystal which the the crystal he has, like you mentioned, is only a small portion of the big crystal that he needs, which is stored in the undercroft of the Temple of Poseidon, apparently, guarded mm-hmm. by the Minotaur, which mm-hmm. is played by David Prowse, who will in the future be Darth Vader. He'll be the guy in the suit. Oh, Darth wow. Vader. I, I find your lack of Greek faith disturbing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, I thought, was, and he has about as many lines that that made it to film as the Minotaur <laughs> as he did as Darth Vader. Yes, he just sits there and roars. There's a, there's a lot of roaring there. <laughs> um, and the uh, as you mentioned, the King Dalios resists this call to bring Kronos back because he remembers the curses that came with the blessings of Kronos. Um, and the Master is unable as as easy as it was to, to hypnotize the Institute director. He's unable to. To hypnotize Dalios. Yes, this mm-hmm. is great. I, I love this. Um, you know, he's like, you will obey me. And Dalios laughs in his face. <laughs> yes. And, and says, a very elementary technique of fascination. And I'm going, hey, nice, because the uh, fascinatio um, was the original word that was used for enchanting someone. Right, and it's where we get fascination. That oh, that person's fascinated. They're enchanted with this thing that they're fascinated right. by. 
Um, and and so fast, even though we use it today to just mean interested, fascinating. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's um, originally it was used as a magic term, and right. and it's nice that they they call that back. I also love when uh, Dalios meets the Doctor and Joe. Uh, the doctor's introducing, you know, Dalio says, like, who's your assistant? And and the doctor says, oh, this is Joe, Joe Grant. And after that, she is the Lady Jojo. <laughs> the Lady Jojo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that happens with James Bond at some point. He's like, I'm Bond, James Bond. And some, someone calls him Bond, James Bond, yeah. like, for the rest of the yep. movie. I, I love mistakes like that. In the album, I think we're all bozos on this bus by the Firesign Theater. You have this character named Clem who's going to a futuristic amusement park. And the first thing the amusement park does when you get there is asks your name. And, um, and he says, uh, Clem. And, <laughs> and thereafter, will Mr. Ah Clem please report to the hospitality <laughs> shelter? <Yeah. laughs> so, uh, we have lots of court intrigue for Atlantis. We have this cast of characters: oh. Dalius the King, Queen Galilea, Ga Galilea, Galilea, Galilea. Um, Lord Galilea. Hippias, who's um, apparently champion of the court, and we have the the queen's maid servant. So we have this intrigue, and Hippias mm -hmm. um, likes Galate. Galea and well, there's something going on between Hippias and Galea. It's yeah. like they're mm -hmm. former lovers or wannabe yeah. lovers or something. But now Galea has it has turned on Hippias because because I mean she's got this 500 year old husband, right? So yeah. you know she's a little I guess bored with that. <laughs> but she she has a total crush. On the master immediately. Yes. Uh, oh, he has the bearing of a god. Yes. Yep. I guess she likes colossal jerks. <laughs> like, or power, because it looks like he's got a lot mm -hmm. of power. And yeah, yeah, and she kind of, she doesn't want to depose Dalios, but she wants right. to install the master as sort of. The power oh, behind the throne. A, a little yeah. bit of, uh, what was the Russian? Uh, oh. The, Rasputin. Rasputin. He's got a little Rasputin thing going funny, on. Funny which, where he got the idea later on to become Rasputin. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, thought, I thought I was I was trying to I kind of ruined it by not remembering Rasputin, but I kind of like it was kind of a Rasputin thing going on. And um, meanwhile, Joe, who ends up uh, being seen as a lady, gets dressed up in a uh, Atlantean outfit. She ends up in the labyrinth with hippies. And by the way, Atlantean fashions are better than the 1970s nightmare that Joe normally wears. Oh, with the, yes. With mm -hmm. the kind of furry, fleecy thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, like, yeah. look, go with the Atlantean look. It's much better for you. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, yes, Galea and, uh, and Joe looked very nice in Atlantis. Um, and so Hippias has been sent to battle the minute. Well, he's been sent to the crystals. Um but ends up dying at the hands of the Minotaur. He's dispatched pretty quickly, in fact. Uh, yeah. And the Doctor ends up playing bullfighter with the Minotaur with his cape, which I thought was a lot yeah. of fun, um, <laughs> and defeats the Minotaur. But Joe and the Doctor are captured and end up in a, in a jail cell. And the Doctor starts telling the story to Joe of the worst day of his life. Mm -hmm. uh, an old man so who far. So right so yeah. far, an old man who listened to the doctor's troubles, and in the uh, on on Gallifrey, a monk, the, a monk, right? You yep. called him a monk, and in the end, 
the old man points to a flower to give the doctor a new perspective on life. Like, oh, you, these sound like terrible troubles. Look at that flower. And it was supposed to be this like sort of idea of even with all your troubles in life, there are still flowers that bloom and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So it was, it was an interesting I, I interlude. Think Monty, yeah. I can think of Monty Python. Always look on the bright <laughs> side of life. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yep, that's right. Uh, but and, it's and, fascinating. And, and we will meet that monk later oh, in in John Pertwee's time. He's in the final John Pertwee adventure. Oh, oh right. Him. Yep. He's yeah, we, can, he's Campo. Oh, that's Campo. Okay, so we've done that at the Planet of the Spiders, uh, which yep. was the regeneration episode for the Third Doctor, and that's the monk. Okay, okay. Interesting to get the the, the backstory at this point. Mm-hmm. Um. In the end, the the master's going to bring Kronos and the doctor and Joe are, you know, they're in this council area. Um, and, oh, they've killed Dalios, by the way. Dalios dies in Joe's lap as when he was, you know, thrown into this prison cell. Which um, drives a wedge between Galea and the master because she wanted her 500-year-old mm-hmm. husband alive. Yes, she just wanted the master's power. Um and the master ends up unleashing Kronos on Atlantis to destroy it and then runs away with Joe on his back yeah. <laughs> into his TARDIS. And then the doctor follows. Yeah. Sycorax Rock Rock has a great um, line about that in their third doctor song. It's an Atlantis is sunk once more. It's all thanks to a chronovore. <laughs> mm. um, and then the doctor threatens to time ram the master's TARDIS, which mm-hmm. is this technique which would basically destroy them all. Like, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll you know, we'll time it, we'll destroy us both before you can unleash the Kronos. Uh, and then the doctor, like, hesitates, and Joe does it. She throws the switch. Yep. She's got the, uh, the, the nerve to throw it when the doctor won't. And mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. The master knew the doctor wasn't actually going to do it. Yeah. You know, he kept calling his bluff. And of course, the doctor, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm really going to do it this time. I mean it. I'm going to do it. And Joe's, and Joe just reaches, jumps over and hits the switch to. Yeah. And uh, they're not destroyed, obviously, but they end up outside of time in this beyond reality where Kronos lives, who turns out in this point to be this giant head woman, which kind of looked like. Galea. Yeah, it looked like Galea to me. I mean, she's got similar, I mean, you know, they have that kind of pancake makeup from the period mm-hmm. that they would put on women's faces, and she's kind of got that, and it looks kind of Atlantean, and you've got the two TARDISes and the Doctor and the Master and Joe in the foreground blocking parts of her face. Yeah. And I thought it was Galea, but I guess I'm yeah, mistaken. Yeah. You, you look at the credits, and they it, are different it made, actresses. So Yeah, it made no sense to me. Um, right. I mean, why would this? Why would Galea have been doing all those machinations if she is Kronos? So, yeah, that didn't make sense. But okay, I guess she's not a big man in a bird costume. She's really right. a woman now, I guess. Well, and, and they they do that. You know, she really doesn't have a human form or you know a, a physical form and can take any appearance she wants. So, the irony yeah. is that both actresses are named Ingrid. Different yeah. last names, but it's kind of ironic. Um, and she says she's beyond, or it says it beyond good and evil. We're uh, neither. So 
um, you know, the, the, yeah, the reputation. Yeah, I've heard that before. That means yeah. you're evil. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the master starts begging for his life. Uh, the doctor is going to, well, Kronos is going to condemn the master to an eternity of punishment. Yeah, because um, he had this um, he had this amulet from the Atlantean priest of Poseidon. So it's like it seems the Atlantean priests, even though their work, their job is to worship Poseidon, you know, for the benefit mm-hmm. of of Atlantis, they're secretly worshiping Kronos. Right. And and the high priest has a medallion that he doesn't understand the function of. He knows the ancients could control Kronos, but he doesn't know how. And the master realizes because that medallion you've got. So mm-hmm. the, the the master has been using the medallion to bully Kronos into doing what he wants. Right. And so the master is about to get an eternity in he- of hell, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And the doctor pleads on his behalf. He mm-hmm. ple- you know, pleads for his you know, leniency. And, of course, the master, at the first opportunity, bolts back into the TARDIS and runs away. And the doctor's like, hey, to Kronos, don't let him get away. And she said, well, I, you asked for leniency. That's on you. <laughs> yeah. And let, let, let us handle it. You want to handle it your way? Well, your way meant he escaped. Oh, right. well. And the doctor asked Joe, because she kind of objects, like, how could you plead for the master? And the doctor asked Joe, would you condemn anyone to an eternity of torment, even the master? Which is an interesting mm-hmm. question. That's an interesting moral question for any of us. Um, you know, that's really only for God, you know, to condemn. Yeah, so answer, no, I would not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. God might, but, um, uh, and would, but not, but we shouldn't. Well, wouldn't. it's more self-imposed. Right, 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 right. To be, to be a little more uh, accurate there. Uh, so Benton, baby Benton is, as we mentioned, is still hanging out and they're trying to figure out a way to feed the poor little tyke who's hungry. And, uh, yeah. but Ruth and Stu managed to re-age Benton from a baby. And like we said, we get the comic ending of naked Benton standing behind the console, um, <laughs> wondering what the heck is going on. <laughs> so, um, any final thoughts on this episode, Father Corey? Uh, one thing that was just kind of a quick line is the events in Cambridge happened on the feast of Michaelmas. Mm-hmm. Cause I think right. it was Yates that wished, uh, Captain Yates wished, uh, uh, Mary Michaelmas. And that's of course the feast of St. Michael, the Archangel, the traditional feast of St. Michael, the Archangel, which is September 29th. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, how about you, Jimmy? Any final thoughts? I thought it was a good story. Um, it's a little long at six parts, but they effectively, I mean, because the first half of it is effectively set in the 20th century and the second half is essentially set in Atlantis, it, it's, it doesn't drag as much as most six parters. Um, and it's nice, really nice to see Atlantis and in the Doctor Who universe and, be there for the destruction, although they didn't have the special effects to, you know, fully realize it. Right. It was pretty action packed. I got to say, mm-hmm. there was plenty going on. I, mm-hmm. I, I like the, uh, speaking of explaining things, the, uh, Bessie at high speed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, uh, that, that's always Super fun. Drive. Yeah, it's always fun to, to see Bessie flying around. And, and they, <laughs> they ask another question in this on behalf of the viewers. Joe says when the, when the doctor, you know, stops Bessie, cold you know yep. which they do by mm-hmm. not by returning the film to normal speed the joe says why didn't i go through the windshield and the doctor explains that bessie's braking system absorbs inertia right mm-hmm. right 
Uh, speaking of changing the film speed, we had those scenes of the uh, the brigadier and the others mm-hmm. in the in the time mud, whatever you call it, uh, which doesn't affect the doctor, uh, so we can pull them out of it. But it's it's always fun to see like actors having to move real slowly <laughs> to pretend mm-hmm. that their yeah. their time is slowed down. Well, and you, you can tell they did slow down so the film even still because you can yeah. still see that jittery. You know how yeah. it, it doesn't move move as smoothly as it would at normal speed, right? It's also nice to see the doctor, you know, he, he runs into the slowdown time field and grabs the person and turns them around and brings them back. And they're moving slowly until they get out of the time field. And then you see this look of, and he does this both with Dr. Ruth and with the brigadier. And mm-hmm. as they come back to where time is flowing at normal speed, you see this look of confusion cross both their faces. It's like they didn't realize they'd been grabbed and turned around, which right. Right. I'm not sure how realistic that is, but it's interesting. <laughs> so, all right, good. So that does it for the time monster. That's a fun story. I, I enjoyed it too. The, the, and I, I think it was long, but having it broken into mm-hmm. two parts really mm-hmm. helped. Great. So let's uh, take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Michael F., Justin D., Michael P., Ted H., and Nicholas W. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear what you think of this third Doctor story, The Time Monster. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. As I mentioned before, we're now on, have full video of our recording on YouTube at our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash StarQuest Media. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Deadly Assassin. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. And we're about to meet our first burned master. Very good. And Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And I guess a deadly assassin might be worse than a just a wounding assassin. I don't know. <laughs> the incompetent assassin. Yeah, I was going it, 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 to. The deadly ones are the incom- are the competent ones. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on Starquest. And remember, if wisdom is to seek the truth, I am a philosopher. <laughs>